Good evening, everyone. I'm your host, Jason Miles, and welcome to another episode of This is Revolution Podcast. Thank you all for joining us this evening. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit subscribe and don't forget to hit that notification bell so you are alerted whenever we go live. We're constantly adding cross streams with other channels and new shows. Speaking of new shows, uh, I recently recorded our first episode of Pop Life. It's a show where I talk more about pop culture stuff. Uh, for the first episode, uh, I got to sit down with singer of influential hardcore metalcore band 18 Visions, singer James Hart. And we had some slight audio issues, uh, but it was still a cool talk. And there's much more to come. And I will be joined future shows with my good friend and fellow musician, Pasquale Romero. Don't get him confused with Pascal. Robert, not Robert, Robert. Also, got to plug appearances. Uh, when by the time you guys see this show, this is a pre-recorded show, so we won't be responding to your comments in live time. Um, I recently did a podcast with uh, JG Michael, the Parallax Views, where we discussed my article in Sublation Magazine about Woodstock '99. Uh, please check it out wherever you are listening or watching this show. There should be links in the description to that show. Actually, our moderators will probably even put it in the chat. So even though we're not live, they are. Additionally, if you like what we do here and you want to see it continue and you have the means to further support the channel, for our patrons, we have the exclusive Champagne Room. It is our post-show after-hours hang where we have more ridiculous, uncensored fun, usually watching some weird movies that will get the channel demonetized. Depending on your level of patronage, oh, excuse me, patronage, you can even get exclusive TIR merch. And at any level, you get to join us for movie nights where uh, I have decided we're going to add a fun movie to movie night um, as well to as our more serious night film um also it looks like still many of our videos uh, are not being allowed to run ads or limited ads due to content i didn't know socialists talking about the left and guns was that controversial but if you guys have the means and feel so inclined if you like what you're hearing and seeing drop a buck or two in the old tip jar it goes a very long way to keep the show going also, speaking of the show, the live show is coming up October 23rd, Terragram Ballroom. Give them an argument, Left Reckoning, and us here at TIR. Give them a revolution is what we're calling the show. Wherever you are listening or watching the show, there are links in the description to get your tickets there's still some vip tickets left where you can hang out with the gang before the show we got some special guests of course uh sean king aka Derek varn is going to be there <laughs> danny bestner is going to be there um we're probably going to get bestner and varn to be on the same panel and have a doomer off and see which one can be more depressing Just kidding. All that out of the way, let me bring in the man who you guys were really here to see. 
He is the man of the Mau Mau Hour. He is my co-host, my homie, my dog. The Tyler to my Perry. He is the Pascal Robert. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings, Jason Miles. You're coming up with the new ones every day. Tyler to your Perry. Because it's one you can't have just one. You need both to make Medea. <laughs> Are you excited for today's show? I'm excited for today's show because I've never been on a show with Dwayne. Uh, That's Dwayne right. You weren't on the last on, one. Nope. And he's been on everyone's show. He's on Varn's show. He was on. I was actually before this because I, I do all this preparation. And I will say there's never been the only other guest I can say that's that's like Dwayne, but even even they don't have the level of preparedness, because Dwayne does this too, um, is Tere Reed. The first time I met with Tere Reed, and I think because the Tere's and the Cedrics of the world um, haven't got to the point of Adolf where they're just, you know, in their latter years, so that everybody gets them and like, ah, F it, you know. Uh, but Tere was like, I need to know every question you're asking. <laughs> I need to know exactly where this is going to go. Um, because I think they don't want to get caught in some weird, you know, moment right. where someone hits them, like uh, like what happened with us a few a few uh, weeks ago, whatever. Um, but yeah, Dwayne, um, I wasn't on the last show, but of course I was privy to the show notes and everything, and I remember looking at him being like, man, I wish I had like real money, because I would so be like, this is this is the man. Will produce a show, like Gene Bajlan makes really good notes. Like, let's not try to downplay Gene Bajlan's notes, and w- especially when he knows that it's a, a deep history dive, he gives us great notes. But Monroe, that's a prepared guy. That's an adult. He is. Monroe's an adult. It's not a game with him. But today, we are going to talk a little bit about cryptocurrency. Last time we had a show about, I think, Bitcoin. And the comment section was just filled with F us because we don't know. We don't know. And you didn't mention this. What about blockchain? So today, we're going to talk about cryptocurrency. And I can't wait to not read the comments. It's still a thing. And people are still investing in it. But why? There have been numerous stories to come out in the past year or so, and its value has been depleted. People have lost large amounts of money, but why are there still so many believers out there? Is the idea that crypto is the pathway to racial liberation or financial freedom that enticing? Do people still believe crypto is going to upend the global banking system? Our guest today, Dwayne uh, Monroe, is a cloud architect, strategist, and social critic follow him on twitter definitely likes to be one of the old guys in the muppets on the twitters he describes himself as fashionably hegelian and he is developing a materials approach to the tech industry and writing about supercomputers uh, ais and the metaverse and techno skepticism 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 from from what 
Dwayne says in his notes to us, the crypto market is based entirely on speculation and is best understood as a form of computationally aided Ponzi scheme. Profits are acquired by selling crypto tokens whose value can wildly fluctuate to greater fools who are uh, convinced that exchanging currency for tokens is a good investment. This exchange provides the input of real capital into the crypto ecosystem. And by ecosystem, he's referring to exchanges and platforms such as Coinbase, Upbit, BitThumb, and CoinOne. The unfolding collapse we're witnessing is the result of fewer people adding capital, i.e. real currency, into the ecosystem via sales and an increased input of real currency value from the ecosystem as would-be investors flee. Another significant factor is the bankruptcy of various platforms. So we're about to take this deep dive. Are you ready, Pascal? Yes, sir. Please welcome, coming all the way live from somewhere in a foreign country, which is the reason why we have to do all these pre-records, dealing with Dwayne's ass. Dwayne Monroe! First things first, uh, is my audio. Oh, no. Oh, audio. Oh, no. Your audio. You sounded like a Megatron, or Soundwave. You sound like Soundwave from me. Soundwave. Okay, testing, testing. Let's try. How about now? Oh, you still sound like Soundwave. You sound like if Soundwave went to a good boarding school. Yeah, everything looks cool as far as bars, but for some reason on your sound end, it's uh, it's coming out all. Testing, testing. One, two. Now, now you sound fine. Yeah, now you're okay. Doing... Fantastic. You're no longer a transformer. At, yeah, maybe uh... I need to give orders to Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> you're from the west side of Cybertron. <laughs> Uh, hey, fellas. Thank you. Well, you, I gotta say, you know, your expertise in all things digital technological is unprecedented in terms of our show. The last time you were here, you really broke down all, a lot of the hype around AI, uh, the metaverse, all of this blockchain. And you really gave it a very kind of clear delineation in terms of separating the wheat from the chase and letting us know what was what what's what but what i really I want to start that. off by asking you is that can you explain what makes the crash of the cryptocurrency market distinct from normal securities the cr crash of normal securities is tied to at least some extent to the real economy now the crash of 2008, um, of course, that was based upon wild speculation, collateralized debt obligations, and those kinds of things. Um, so in a sense, it, it was not entirely real. But there were actual houses, for example. This crash is different, number one, because it's based upon an, an ideology collapsing as well. And that ideology is that a database technology, blockchain, is the foundation of a liberatory project. And not just liberatory in a, in a Marxist sense or socialist sense, but in a financial in independence sense, right? So 
as people begin to realize that they, they are not going to make uh, crazy amounts of money, they're not going to have a nest egg um, because these these cryptocurrencies um, and using currency is, is a misnomer. But um, these crypto tokens, as I said, um, and as, as Jason read, um, are wildly speculative. As more people realize this, and fewer people are willing to input capital into into these exchanges. And I think also, uh, quite as it's kept, some of the major players, such as Goldman and others, have begun to, to assess and reach the conclusion that it's not a good investment for them. And so they also have been pulling out. Um, and, and as a result, the, the, the values have been crashing. And then finally, th there's the fact that many of these companies uh, have been pretending um, in a way that's uh, similar to, to the, the false um, uh, fronts that were put up uh, during the crash of 2008, um, the, the financial crash, um, but somewhat different because different crypto exchanges invest in each other and they manipulate trading to make it seem as if there's more activity than there actually is to, to therefore gin up uh, interest. So those schemes have been failing and there have been collapses and bankruptcies as a consequence, because at some point your investors, whether they're small or large, want real returns. And if you're not producing real returns, out they go, right? Uh, because you, cause you, you, can't, you can't really buy your billion dollar yacht um, with crypto. You know, you're not, you're definitely, of course, not a fan of crypto. And I have yeah. a, a good personal friend uh, that still believes in it. And, and he did lose some money uh, when the market tanked not too long ago. Um, what is it about crypto that's still so alluring? Uh, it feels like this is simply like a penny stock pump and dump scam with the added veneer of internet influencers. Uh, yeah. And there also seems to be a youth component to to crypto yes. that we're not used to seeing in uh, yeah. trading. It's desperation, Jason. I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, this has been stated many times before, but I, I think that capitalism is out of almost out of tricks, right? Um, I mean, the, the the one trick that should happen is the, the re-engineering of our infrastructure to be ready for climate change, right? That would generate trillions in activity, but no one's willing to do that. So we're back into a corner, regardless of our age cohort. For the young, they know that um, their financial prospects are quite poor and they do not see growth. Even if you're a person who's 25, or 35 or 40, which I think is the upper limit for, for millennials, um, and your parents leave you, let's say half a million, because they, you know, in, in housing, you have decades of life to go, and that half a million will not go far. And so sensible people know that. They, they know that, yes, it's good to have this nest egg, but it, it won't last me for the rest of my life, just normal living. And then, of course, most people don't have even that. We all know this now. We all know that we are well and truly fucked. Mm -hmm. But I think that even the capitalists themselves, um, as I believe uh, a few scholars have been acknowledging, um, are, are beginning to realize that they, 
their bag of tricks is, is almost empty. This leaves us only with ideology. In other words, you have to believe in the same way that Musk fans must believe that he can build a base on Mars, because if he can, and of course he can, then all of their dreams, all, all of their hopes are, are completely dissolved. And I think that um, this, this, this clinging to, to crypto in some sectors is, is a clinging to, to a hope that something will, will pay off. Something will, will, will provide freedom from, from the grind from, from, and from the terror, from the terror of being poor, right? And, and, and ideology is extraordinarily powerful and not susceptible uh, or easily susceptible to, to data, to material reality, right? It's really fascinating that you say that because one of the things that you mentioned here is how cryptocurrency is a Ponzi scheme. Can you define exactly what you mean by that when you say that it works as a Ponzi scheme? If I am a successful crypto uh, trader, I have become successful because I've convinced you to buy crypto from me. And, and also, I have to spread the, the concept of, of, of crypto in order to find as many suckers, buyers, as I possibly can. This is why they, they market so heavily. This is why they, um, um, they promote relentlessly, because they have to have new suckers into the system to keep the system going. Like any, any Ponzi scheme, right? Because if a Ponzi scheme is just me buying all the Tupperware, and then you not buying the Tupperware, well, then I'm done. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to find everybody to buy the Tupperware. And I don't want to get, I, I, I'm not smirching Tupperware. I'm, you can actually use it. <laughs> you, you understand what I mean. <laughs> I mean. At least there's something you can use. But, um, but you have to find more and more and more people to buy into the system in order for the system to, 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 to be successful and for you to be successful. Yeah, because if you're just a person who just is just holding crypto, um, you're not making any money. I mean, Ponzi scheme, it almost sounds like multi-level marketing from some of the things that I've seen. I th um, that's good. Yes, I, I think so. I, that's also a, a, a very good description. Yeah. You know, um, but it, what's fa what's fascinating to me is. Again, we're in a moment where we have all this information in our fingertips. We can find out how legitimate these things are for the most part. Um, there are no mysteries anymore. To your point about Tupperware, yeah. there was a mystery about Tupperware in the in the 50s and 60s when this person knocked on your door and showed you the, the fabulous uh, plastic containers. Um, and we didn't know uh, what they were at the time. Same thing can be said to. I think my mom was a, a Tupperware a, a lady. lady for about uh, <laughs> ten minutes until she said, "You know what? Uh, no, but, no, yeah, you can have a Tupperware party. You can show people how you can put food away." Um, <laughs> you know, this is a new this is a new moment where you would think that the Tupperware party model or the purse party model from the two thousands uh, is a dead scene. 
but uh, Instagram, it almost feels like it's given this stuff a bit of life. Uh, one of the yeah. bigger influencers in, uh, you know, not in our world of, of political podcasting, but now he's gotten into fighting one of the Paul brothers, Jake, Logan, Ronald, whatever his name is, uh, was either and it was either a crypto scam or an NFT scam. NFT, I believe it was for him. NFTs, yeah. but you know, same difference. Yeah. So to your point about desperation, it it actually is very sad and telling. Um, I don't like to use the term late stage capitalism because I mean it just keeps uh, yeah morphing into something different. And That's right. this feels like the something different. I mean, everyone was singing the praises of um, uh, GameStop. It just feels like not too long ago and how these people were gaming the system. And then more and more stories came out to prove that it really wasn't you know, people gaming the system. Yeah. Um, but, but what is it about? Uh, is it the ease in which people can invest in crypto and feel like they know what they're talking about, unlike stocks? There's that for sure, which in, which should also remind us of day traders. Well, years ago, um, I was uh, consulting with a colleague, and um, in those days, what companies would do is, um, if you were the consultant, um, they probably would just put you in a an unused conference room, and uh, and you had to do your thing, whatever that thing was. So I, I'm there with my colleague, and he's just on his laptop day trading, you know, because he, his dream was to stop being a software developer and become a day trader, right? Well, the barrier to entry for day trading was rather low. You know, you didn't have to go through all the testing or have your SEC license or all that. You could just be <laughs> this knucklehead or a clever person, whatever, um, with a laptop and an internet connection, just doing your trades. And he thought he was really doing the thing. So one day I, I asked him, so how much have you made? I mean, I'm going to pry into your business, but, you know, how much have you made? Have you have you made a mortgage payment yet or a car payment, uh, a bottle for the baby, anything? <laughs> and he's like, well, I got like a thousand bucks. I said, all right, well, what did you put in to get that thousand? He's like around 700. Like, well, wow. that's not really a good investment. I mean, I mean, it's better to be on top. But and then he lost that thousand. Um, but he continued because there was the hope that he would no longer have to work. And this is a man who had, a, you know, really, I mean, tech pays well. So he, um, he had a very good salary, right? But he had a couple of kids and a big house in the suburbs and the whole thing. So that was his dream. Now, fast forward to today, we have people who don't have those great salaries. Um, they may or may not have children, it doesn't matter. They may not uh, have a house. Um, they're younger, they probably don't, um, um, not a house they're paying a mortgage on, but they still have, you know, financial obligations and the desire to no longer to be trapped. Um, and I think it, that's the psychological element of this that, that keeps it going. And if you examine the crypto market uh, propaganda, um, it, it's, it's tailored to that. Uh, that's why in, in, in the document I shared with you, I, I emphasize the the role of this um, in or the appeal of this to 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 Black Americans in particular, and how it was how it's, it's been sold um, to many Black Americans as as a means of of generating 
that holy grail that you keep hearing about if you're a black person in the States, generational wealth. I, I, I once bought a, a bike and um, when I when my, when we moved to the Netherlands, because we have to have a bike. And um, I posted the picture to a group that I'm a, a member of that's uh, with some black folks back in the States. And the first thing someone said was, well, goodbye to your generational wealth. I'm like, <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, you know, that you have to have this generational wealth. Um, I said, well, the reason we don't have it has nothing to do with uh, a lack of access to the stock market. It's things that happened a while ago, actually, um, that cannot be corrected through speculation. Well, I'd like to I'd like to build on this on this uh, moment right here. I, I did want to finesse our way into the black stuff. But you wanted to dive right in there, you know. I don't know how many <laughs> brothers is out there with you in the Netherlands. You saw us. He's like, all right, now it's time to <laughs> Jason and Pascal's both on the screen. Let's dive into the black stuff. But but seriously, uh, let's let's talk about this idea of a racialized wealth gap. And Pascal, you've written about this. If you guys are listening to the show or we've been watching the show, there's actually links in the descriptions uh, to an article Pascal wrote in Newsweek. Uh, about the racial wealth gap. Maybe let's expand on the racial wealth gap for a second and talk about that because I think that is uh, a point uh, where it hits people in an emotional, there's there's an emotional uh, uh, yeah. hit right there when you start talking about the racial wealth gap and how this cryptocurrency, unlike your kid being a basketball player or you dropping the next hot mixtape, this is going to be the thing that's going to liberate a people. Pascal, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that what I see cryptocurrency because of its technological uh, cachet is marketed within a consortium, consortium of what I call black excellence, black capitalism products if you will, mm -hmm. in that it creates this allure that it's part of a machine that's to promote this thing called black excellence. We need black excellence to get out, you know, and the only way you get black excellence, of course, is through black capitalism, which, as we know, is a scale of business that in and of itself cannot meet the needs of the majority of 42 million black people because, number one, the majority of businesses in the black community are very small, small proprietorships of one to three business owners. Number two, also the scale of business ownership in, in black communities are not of capacity where they can give labor security to the majority of black people. And number three, union jobs and stable income is a much better way to provide a means of actually generation, generating compensation and wealth building well, not, not wealth building per se, but definitely revenue building for black workers. But at the same time, what we find is that because there's always been this attempt to replicate this capitalist-based model in black spaces to divorce black people away from any kind of wealth redistribution program within themselves, black capitalism raises its head promoted by entertainers. You see Jay-Z talking about, you know, don't call me a capitalist, mm -hmm. that's a slur. But yet at the same time, using lyrics in their songs to promote this kind of lifestyle 
that leaves black people outside of understanding how they are one of the number one predators of capitalism. And I think that cryptocurrency fits very well as a model in that paradigm. I, I agree with that um, 100%, particularly because um, as I've observed by watching black technologists on Twitter, um, who I monitor um, for their political orientation, uh, not for their technical acumen, because you know that's a dime a dozen. And I don't mean to insult anybody, but I, but I, but after 20 years in this business, I'm like, okay, you're good at you know Java or what have you. Who cares? Um, the uh, the use, the enthusiastic uh, messaging from from black techies who are into this to other black Americans, whether they are technologists or not, that this is the way, this is the way forward, um, um, has been rather disturbing, but not surprising for exactly the reasons that Pascal uh, outlined, you know, because they, they are true believers, of course, in capitalism as the solution to the world's problems. And people in the tech industry um, um, are, are, are hyper-capitalists uh, or libertarian, uh, typically in their view. And the closer you are to California and Silicon Valley, the more intense that um, that, that belief system is. Now, I, I speak as a, a, for, a former U.S. East Coaster, uh, but um, but I, I, I think there's some pretty strong evidence to support that assertion. Are, are you saying you're... you're, you're, you're throwing that caveat out there because you're trying to reignite the East Coast, West Coast beef is what you're saying. <laughs> Let me tell you, you, can I tell you just as an aside, uh -huh. <laughs> since moving to the Netherlands, right? Mm -hmm. I have met more Silicon Valley people than I had known previously. And one day we, we have to do a, a separate show just on that cohort. <laughs> It's well, there's a there's a term. So I worked on more of the marketing end or with the marketing end um, of Silicon Valley, which is, a, you know, every world is very different. Sales is extremely different from yeah. from marketing, which is extremely different from you know, guys that code. Um, they even live in different areas of San Francisco. It's it's so funny. Um but but that being said, there is a term that becomes infectious uh, and, and part of the lexicon, especially in people pitching um, and the way. And, and I think it's changed the way that we think, actually, about not just capitalism, but the world. And that word is disruption. Yeah. Uber is to be the disruptor to the taxi industry. Um, DoorDash and and all these other you know, food delivery sites are going to be the disruptor to um, pizza delivery, whatever else you have. Um, and crypto to me is being still looked at as a disruptor right. to banking, which cross political ideological lines. If you are uh, an avowed hammer and sickle socialist uh -huh. to your Rand Paul libertarian. Uh -huh. You probably are not a fan 
of the banking system. That's right. So to be a disruptor, I think, is extremely enticing. And yes. and, and it, it almost can feel radical in a certain sense. Yes. Um, and in, yes. and in reading your notes and then reading, you know, the, the articles that you linked in the notes, that was like the first thing that came to my mind was just remembering being at like um, uh, developers conferences and, and hearing everyone's pitches <laughs> and everyone is no one is trying to see the world a different way. Yes. It's just, can I do a thing that makes it easier to do something that already exists and disrupt the right. market? I mean, Amazon. Like mattresses. Yeah. You got a mattress, but not like this. It's literally just like the one you have. Right. But my company right. is a tech company that makes mattresses, so it's not necessarily a tech company. You know, yeah, we work. Exactly. We work is another perfect example of we're going yes. to disrupt the way people do business. How? By owning buildings? <laughs> like, that is it. But but you're spot on. You're spot on that 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 the the value proposition or the fantasy value proposition of crypto is that it's going to quote unquote disrupt the financial uh, in, uh, industry. And there was a study done oh about a year or so ago that showed that one of the major investors in crypto was Goldman Sachs and other you know major entities within the the well-established traditional financial industry. And so when I would point this out to people, you know, they would say, well, you know, that's not important because they'll just be, they'll be overwhelmed by our disruption. I'm like, yeah, you, you, you sweet summer child, you, you, you underestimate the power of evil, right? That mm. the ability to adapt, to, to embrace, to extend, to understand, you, don't you think that these guys have hired a bunch of, you know, overeager kids to just analyze this stuff 24-7? Don't, mm. don't you think that they, they can't understand you know, this market? And also, uh, at the basis of crypto, at the technological level, is, um, is the calculation of, of value um, and also the movement of, um, of tokens via um, the so-called blockchain, right? And, and that requires computation. And computation requires money and power, right? Both electrical and political and financial. And uh, although the promise of, of, of crypto is that any one of us could add you know, to, um, to the blockchain from our, our laptop, the reality is that since um, measures such as proof of work, for example, or proof of stake, which are ways of of uh, actually calculating value and, and also um, acquiring tokens from within the system uh, that requires a, a tremendous amount of computational power that you need money and money means power power that you and i don't have so there's just a material reality to this that people that many people well the the, the diehards are very very resistant to um to understanding and so we seg from the range of, of materiality to the realms of psychoanalysis and other other fields that I'm I'm not uh, an expert in, but we're, but we're no longer talking about um, you know people's rational responses to things. We're talking about other things. Do you, do, you, do you think it's part of it is that 
Jason touched on it when he talked about how part of it is like there's a rebellion, there's a rebellious quality, like a, almost a revolutionary kind of like we're doing something that the status quo doesn't like kind of aspect to it. Because I've heard people say, literally, black people in crypto, that we need to do this because this is the way we're going to get back the wealth that they took from us because they can't yeah. control this. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's right. <laughs> They can't control it. They can't control servers in a room. <laughs> what's, like, fun, what? what's funny about that, Dwayne, is uh, yesterday, 20 minutes, Pascal, 20 minutes before the show starts, I can't get online. Why can't I get online? Hmm. Like I, I was telling you uh, before we started recording, the, the entire Internet for the entire state of Baja, which is larger than California was out for an undisclosed amount of time and luckily mm -hmm. um my phone worked but there were there were people that were certain phone companies were out at the same time um and uh, i i you can't pay a bill online here <laughs> like you can't back home and also how could i pay it if if, if everything's offline um that's right but the, the the place where I would where I physically go pay it is is uh, down the way, and I I was able to call a friend that lived literally around the corner from the place, and she got back to me. She goes, "It's a madhouse over here. People are going crazy. They 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 want their internet back on, and you know." Da, 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 da. And to think that that level of disruption can can throw off a place where, you know, we don't have an influencer culture down here because you don't really need it, right? It's, it's a tourist Omeka where I live to a, to an extent. Um, but I can't imagine back home, especially as much as people are just so tied to their devices. Yeah. Um, being able to just flip a switch and go, nope. You know, what are you going to do then? Send a smoke signal? Like, yeah. The days of organizing <laughs> that happened yeah. in the, the the 30s and the 40s, even let's not even talk about the 60s. Let's talk about the 20s, 30s, and yeah. 40s. Those days are so far gone. We are so far removed from things like yeah. thank you letters. You know, one of our friends' show sent us yes. a, a uh, showed a picture of someone sent him a thank you letter, and he was like, "I haven't seen one of these in so long." <laughs> That's right. That, I mean, Pascal, right. you know. Right. What do you have to say about that when people talk about like control and we can take back control with this crypto? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me because my question is that why are people so deluded? I t it demonstrates to me that there's a lack of understanding of what power is in the first place. Yes, mm. that's correct. Mm. And, and I'll tell you something, and, and this will be related to what we're talking about. So on Twitter, which I've learned to use as a kind of uh, data gathering tool, because uh, I'm a little sinister that way. Um, <laughs> you are a better detect, man than me. Like, <laughs> well, I, I, the people who follow me know mm -hmm. that I, I do indeed have a Twitter doctrine, like a discipline that I follow. Um, because when I first joined Twitter, I, I was I was a wild, I was like everybody else. I was a wild man. Like what? How dare you? And I'll start like you know. The fingers come out. I'm like, no, that, that's not working. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so that had to come to an end. 
So I actually did an analysis of how it works because I'm a systems thinker, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I kind of disciplined myself. But um, I, I monitor how liberals talk about power. And I will typically ask a very simple question. How will we deal with ExxonMobil? Right. Um, and their response is always uh, ethics, reform. And I said, well, but if you have no power, what is to stop ExxonMobil from doing what they do? Right. And uh, and there is a fundamental lack of understanding of political economy and power. And it's not for nothing. I mean, who's teaching that? Right. I mean, I, I came to to an understanding of these things uh, over time. I, I it wasn't uh, there wasn't any class. Um, there wasn't you know there I mean there were mentors you know who kind of were guiding me in that direction. But what really what really helped me was working as a consultant and observing Fortune 500 and 1,000 corporations up close. Because if you work with computation, you, you are working at the core of a corporate of a corporate entity because right and then and just observing observing what they do and how they act and this gives me i think an uh, a perspective and an insight that many of my comrades particularly those in academia uh can't have right because they they haven't been in, in the server rooms they haven't been in the boardrooms they haven't been in the conference rooms you know and and so the the persistence of this crypto belief does indeed stem to Pascal's point from a misunderstanding, a fundamental misunderstanding of how is exercised and, and what political economy actually is. That's kind of frightening. One of the things that you mentioned in your article is that how certain constellations of crypto providers basically come together like almost like pyramids and as a result have subsequently collapsed but have not necessarily reported to their investors that they have actually they are falling apart can you go into that i was reading it and i was just totally i was like how is that even possible that these people are allowed to get away with falling apart and not being charged by securities exchange commission or anyone else only now is the has the SEC turned its attention to this. I, I, I think that for a time, uh, at the Fed and and here in Europe, um, I think the European Central Bank and and other entities uh, were slow to 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 pay close attention to this because I, I think that they believed that they could take advantage of it, use it. But as its uh, unstable character became clear, and as, and as they, I think they began to note that the goal of some of these individuals and these entities was to replace fiat currency, uh, that's when they realized that they that they were facing a threat um, that could destabilize the global financial system. Um, and so now, only now, are they beginning to turn their attention to it. Uh, the PRC. Uh, Beijing actually realized this uh, uh, early. Um, I think that th- there was a time when people were able to set up um, uh, trading uh, data centers, you know, for, for crypto that that do the the complex mathematics of um, of of blockchain. But um, 
uh, Beijing realized that uh, it was a challenge to what they're trying to achieve, whether one agrees or not, is, is, is immaterial. But they, they realized that and, and shut it down. I think only now is Washington and Brussels um, begin to realize that. Um, and there are other uh, uh, political um, entities around the world, say in Africa and South America, which uh, may or may not have you know, the, uh, that understanding yet. But the reason, but so, so that, that's part of the reason why they were able to get away with it, because there was zero oversight. Um, and the oversight has been late in coming. And another reason this happened is that insiders realize that they had a problem, the lack of input of capital, the outflow. And so they had to keep the system running by pretending that, th that things were happening that were not happening, that there was a churn of trades that were not in fact occurring. And so the lack of oversight and then the need of, of, of a Coinbase, for example, and other exchanges to pretend that, uh, that they, were, they were bustling concerns incentivized them to, to form consortiums, uh, essentially, in which they cooperated to pretend uh, in the same way that, um, you know, City, City Group and, and uh, Lehman and others pretended that, um, you know, the, the, the collateralized uh, debts, you know, were good investment, were AAA investments. Enron. They all colluded, yeah. um, you know, to, to actually help us believe that. It, it, it reminded me of, uh, of the mid-aughts in Enron and WorldCom. Yes. I, I, I think our memory is extremely short when we think about these these uh, these financial atrocities, because mm -hmm. I think uh, this is we're, we're, this is my opinion, and I, and I would love to know how you guys feel about this. The crash of the late twenties, that is labeled the Great Depression, is ingrained in the minds of many Americans as the ultimate downturn financially of society, and we are then saved by FDR in robust programs. Some people will go so far as to say in a war, right? Because 2008 to a lot of people happens in a vacuum and it is a different time. We have to remember, and I think people forget in the twenties, we don't have home ownership to the level that we have it post um, World War II with the build out of suburbs. We don't have suburbs to the level that we that we have it post World War II. That's right. So, you know, home ownership is, is definitely going to look different. Quote unquote Hoovervilles and and ghettos are going to look extremely different in, in the history, right? The images that are green in our minds. But when I think of two thousand eight, we may not have Hoovervilles still, but what we do have is vast homeless encampments in every part of, of the United States That's right. um, that resemble these Hoovervilles. We don't, you know, have lines of people like we had you know, bread lines, but I don't know why we don't have more pictures of um, um, food pantries in, in major metropolitan areas where there are lines of people for blocks and blocks that will resemble um, that moment. Why 
what is it about that 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 we block that 2008 moment out of our minds as a huge turn you know we were talking about it last weekend about the the end of the end of history like this is a reminder yeah. that the end of history thesis was wrong can I, let me tell you a story about 2008 mm -hmm. so when the crash happened i was consulting at a um, investment firm in suburban Philadelphia. Uh, they had, prior to the crash, something like a trillion dollars under management. They were wildly successful. Sovereign wealth funds, they managed Harvard's fund, the city mm. of Philadelphia, billions upon billions upon billions, right? Um, my role there was to help build the platform that helped the traders manage all of these funds. And so I had to work very closely with these traders. And I became pretty cool with a hedge fund trader who I appreciated because he was an honest person. He wasn't one of these guys who you know, was trying to blow smoke up your ass about what was happening. And only six months prior to the crash, he said to me while we were just hanging out, um, obviously this can't last. This is all nonsense because he had seen some, some of the details of the trances, right? Uh, the, what, what, what comprised the, um, the collateralized debt obligations and the structured investment vehicles and so forth. Now at this location, there was a giant board that showed, of course, the status of the market. And when the market crashed, I got to see this in real time. I got to observe it as it happened all metrics going south right and um and i remember him saying to me it's even worse than i thought so when people would talk to me about the crash they didn't have that knowledge it, as you said it seemed to come from nowhere mm -hmm. right like everything was fine i have this <laughs> house or whatever mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden everything's fucked Mm -hmm. How did that possibly happen? Now, the reactionary explanation was, well, all these poor people got houses they couldn't afford. It's nonsense, of course. And the liberal explanation was, well, there was greed. You know, Wall Street is greedy and they need to be less greedy. Um, and so I think it's similar with, with crypto in that unless you have this background, unless you have access to this knowledge, it's difficult to see the whole picture. And we do not have a media that is educating you. No. I mean, what I is think... CNN doing? No. Like right. nothing, right? right. They, they just want to sell you uh, the fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then the fantasy um, runs in, into a brick wall and they have no explanation. Uh, and so, and people are, are left are left adrift. Um, and, I, and I think that this is a significant, well, it's, it's a critical problem actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting that you say that about CNN, and, and I, I, I can't wait to hear Pascal's point. What, what, follow up on what I'm going to say, because my lady friend, a woman I date, was trying to buy a car, and I was giving her advice about buying a car because I sold cars for a minute, and I said, "You always have to remember this one thing when you're buying a car: these aren't the people that know anything about cars. You don't go to them to have your car fixed. So remember that." And they don't know anything about finance. And that's the same way I feel about people that sell money 
on TV or people that sell money as a living. If you sell money, you don't know anything about economics. You sell money. Yes. That's right. You know, so don't listen to what these people have to say about good and bad investments because Go ahead, Pascal. No, I mean you guys are really getting on something that's really important. When I we're all old enough to remember the proliferation of what I call finance news, CNBC, mm-hmm. Fox Business yes. Channel, all of these, I mean Jason has a really wonderful, wonderful uh, news series he's doing right now about how uh, mainstream news in America has been warped in a way, merging with entertainment to create the kind of fictitious narratives we've seen that got us to this political moment. I think that you can make the same argument in terms of financial services news. These guys are some of the biggest hustlers, and there's no challenge to their narrative. When you watch these guys on CNBC and Fox News and these other news networks, there's no challenging allowed. It's That's all right. about like, oh, it's like, oh, no, the market's gonna go up, and no, don't worry about it. No, don't be a downer. And they're such right. absolute charlatans in the way they discuss the market, and there's no real questioning in terms of what is fueling the development of the political economy in this country. And it make you really start to understand how when we talk about the ideological superstructure, how things like media mechanisms, televisions, television, education help fuel belief in this system's perpetuality yeah. that's completely false. This is all based and, on and, and let's bring on, this um, on cards. Let, 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 let's bring this full circle because uh, earlier, Jason's and I think Pasco, you as well. Your question is why do people continue? to believe it's because the alternative narrative so to speak is no better right (laughs) i mean crypto is a particularly egregious example of grift i mean it it is a genuine grift Uh, not everything is as 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 you've said many times jason but those things that are grifts Mm -hmm. are indeed grifts and this is one of them um however if you look to Wall Street, <laughs> it's not as if you're looking at this paragon of you know virtue and you know this this marvelous world, right? Mm-hmm. And so people are be- like are literally between a rock and a hard place, right? Um, on 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 this matter, and because the the gr- the grift is is strong, uh, strong guess uh, right now with crypto. But it's strong indeed in the so-called uh, normal um, economy, right? So um, this is one of the um, the problems we have in actually communicating communicating um, what the problem is. And I've encountered this on Twitter with some of the, the techies, you know, because I'll say, well, you know, the Wall, Wall Street's corrupt. And I say, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> this is more corrupt. <laughs> yeah, like somebody... Now I'm getting actually I'm. I'm getting a notice from from my producer, which is what I call my wife. But that that we that we've hit the the hour mark. We've we've hit we're 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 right on we're right on the hour mark. Uh, I do want to thank you uh, very much, Dwayne, for joining us today. Uh, this conversation can probably keep going. Uh, I definitely want oh, yeah. to uh, examine yeah. the this idea that. Uh, I, I look. I'm. I'm going to send you a, a trailer for the new video essay um, where we're living in Please a world do. of chase babe, 
because I do agree with Pascal that part of this um, media's entertainment does get into the financial sector. And I definitely think there's a propaganda arm of that with things like Wolf of Wall Street um, uh, and all these yeah. movies, even though there's trying to be like, oh, well, don't just it, it ends up being just don't be greedy. You can have all everything you want. Just yes. don't be greedy. Um, but that's the liberals answer to everything, which is <laughs> ethics. Ethics. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy and everything's fine. Well, Dwayne, thank you very much. Tell your producer we appreciate uh, her letting us borrow you for I a should, little I bit. Will. Indeed. Pascal, do you have any uh, closing words? Appreciate you coming on, Dwayne. We'd love to have you on again. He yeah, is Dwayne yeah, my pleasure, Monroe, guys. the Cloud Pistador on Twitter. <laughs> Please follow his website. There's links in the description wherever you're watching or listening to the show. And we are out.